Amen. A very appropriate uh, song in light of the uh, topic of our message today. They were singing about uh, our responsibility as believers uh, to lift up the cross, and we'll be looking at our responsibility to uh, spread uh, the gospel of Jesus uh, Christ. Uh, we continue uh, our study of Second Thessalonians as we uh, come this morning to chapter 3, uh, the final chapter in the book. I plan to cover chapter 3 in two messages, which means uh, we will conclude our study of Second Thessalonians uh, next Sunday. Uh, right before our love and deed emphasis, uh, October 10 through the 13th. So let's go back to chapter 2 just briefly uh, to see its connection uh, to chapter 3. In chapter 2, Paul, as we've already seen, uh, corrects false teaching about the rapture of the church and the seven-year tribulation period. And as he does, he gives us a glimpse into the future concerning the rebellion of the Antichrist, the last great world dictator, and the return of Jesus Christ when He will set up His earthly kingdom. Paul also indicates in chapter 2 that even though God is restraining the final satanic outbreak of lawlessness by the Antichrist, the power of lawlessness is already at work in our world today. We discover this same truth in 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 3, which tells us that though the Antichrist is coming in the future, the spirit of the Antichrist is already present in the world. The spirit of the Antichrist and the spirit of lawlessness are the same thing. A spirit that f- refuses to recognize and submit to God, a spirit which rejects the Bible and all moral absolutes in order to throw off moral restraints and to live as you please, and in essence, to become one's own God. And I think we would all admit, you cannot miss it, that the spirit of lawlessness is growing very rapidly in our culture, and as it grows, it makes life very difficult and uh, unpleasant, uh, often for true believers. We should not be uh, surprised when followers of Christ are viewed with disdain as being backward, narrow, intolerant, and judgment, since we represent all that lawlessness hates, because we represent a standard by which their lives can be judged in the culture in which we live. Do not ever forget, the world took perfect, perfect love. He took undefiled goodness and transparent purity and nailed Him to the cross. And what did Jesus say to His followers? If they persecuted me, they're going to what? They're going to persecute you. And all of this, of course, raises the question, well, how are Christians to behave? How are we to conduct ourselves living in an ever-increasing lawless society? And the answer is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and that answer evolves around, around our responsibility to the Word of God. God has not left us in this world without a guiding light, without a compass, 
Already in chapter 2, Paul emphasized the importance of believing God's Word and standing firm for Jesus by holding on to God's Word without compromise. Here in chapter 3, he drives this home even more by emphasizing the two primary responsibilities a believer has in relationship to God's Word. And this morning, we're going to look at the first of those responsibilities, and next week, we'll look at the second. First, and I hope you uh, picked up a copy of the uh, sermon notes, and you'll be uh, following there as well as in your Bibles. Uh, First, we are to glorify God's Word by spreading it, which, of course, is the focus of the first five verses of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. As lawlessness increases, as it becomes more difficult, as it becomes more uh, dangerous for a Christian, it would be easy, very easy, for us to retreat behind the four walls of the local church or even in our homes. It would be easy just to hunker down with the attitude, well, you know, if we don't make waves, maybe it'll make life easier for us, and we can just ride this thing out all the way to heaven. And this is a problem that they were experiencing right in the church at Thessalonica. We'll see next week. There are a group of individuals that were doing exactly this. They were retreating to the church and thinking Christ's return was just right around the corner, and they had stopped working. They just stopped everything to wait for Jesus. But listen, beloved, Jesus did not say retreat or hide from the world. Jesus said what? Go into the world. That's the command that is upon the church. We're to share the gospel. We're to make disciples. God did not create the church to be a defensive fortress. He created the church to be an offensive force, to confront the opposition of Christ and to advance His kingdom. And this is why the church is called the body of Christ. As the body of Jesus Christ, we are to walk as Jesus walked in this world to seek and save the lost. You know, when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, the church is not portrayed there as a defensive fortress under attack. No, it's just the opposite. It portrays the church as being on the march and storming the gates of hell. William Booth, uh, the founder of the Salvation Army, uh, captured the spirit of true Christianity when he said this. He said, we are not sent to minister to a congregation and be content if we keep things going. We are sent to make war and to stop short of nothing but the subjugation of the world to the sway of the Lord Jesus. And let me be quick to add, yes, we make war, but as it says in 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare are what? Not the weapons of this world. Our weapons are primarily two, truth and love. Truth and love. I love 2 Timothy chapter 2. Listen to verses 23 and 26. This is the attitude uh, that we're to take to a lost world in spreading the gospel. It says, and the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting who are in opposition. 
if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Look with me now at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, to learn how as Christians we are to glorify God's Word in our lives by spreading it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you, and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. And may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Now, before we examine these verses, do not miss the fact that this is a prayer. And as this being one of the prayers of Paul, we are instructed on how to pray. Now listen, beloved, and I think this is a very simple but profound application. One of the greatest ways, one of the greatest ways to conform your life to Jesus Christ is to pattern your prayers after the prayers in the Bible. Because it is in the prayers of the Bible that we discover the heart of God. We discover what is most important to God. We discover what God is passionate about. You know, over the years, I've tried to develop the habit in my prayer life to always find an appropriate prayer in the Bible or a passage in the Scripture that fits what I'm praying about. For example, for my life, uh, the primary prayer that I've prayed, that I've built my prayer life around, as I pray for me, is Ephesians chapter 1, the prayer there. It says that God would grant me according uh, with, with a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ, that God would open the eyes of my heart, that Andy Merritt would be able to see what is the hope of my calling, why God saved me, the purpose and the plan for my life, that He would open my eyes to be able to see with greater and greater clarity what are the riches of His glory that He's deposited in me, that He would teach me how to appropriate those riches, that I might be about His business, and that I would know Him as that power at work in me, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. For my children and my grandchildren, I have been praying for years that prayer in Colossians 1, God, fill each and every one with the knowledge of what You've willed for their lives in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that each and every one of them might walk worthy of you, to please you in every aspect of their lives, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in their knowledge of you, strengthened with all power through the steadfastness of Jesus Christ, that not one would be lost, but each one would be captured to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. For the church family, I've built my prayer for you around Ephesians chapter 3, that God would grant you that grant us as a church family, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, that as a church family, 
we would know the reality of Jesus Christ dwelling in our midst, gaining preeminence over our church family, over every life, over every family, that being rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus Christ, we would have the joy together to experience, to enjoy the length, depth, breadth, and height of that love that, as we saw last week, that will never fail us, that will never let us go, but also never let us off, that we would be filled with the fullness of God, that He would remove from our lives, from our church family, everything that is not like Jesus Christ to fill us up with Jesus Christ, that we might fill this community with Jesus Christ. And now, to Him who is able right here to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything that we could ask or think or pray, according to that power, that power that raised Jesus from the dead as it works in us. To Him be the glory. Amen? So I encourage you, I encourage you, build your prayer life around the prayers of the Bible because it's there that you discover what is important to God. And also realize, and I think this is very important, it can be very convicting, But it's a wonderful way to evaluate your life, to take a spiritual inventory of your life. What we pray for, what we pray for is a good barometer to our spiritual lives. Because what we pray for reveals what is most important to us and what we desire to see accomplished. You know, there's nothing wrong for me praying for me and my family and protection and provision. All that's good. All that's appropriate. But something's terribly wrong. If my prayers never get outside of the context of my own life and my own family. Because as I get into the Scriptures, as I look at the prayers of the Bible, as I look at what has captured the heart of God, I discover it is the salvation of a lost world. And so my prayers begin to broaden as I turn from selfishness to begin to focus on what is important to God and begin to invest my life into what is important to God. So here in Paul's prayer in 2 Thessalonians 3, we learn how important the spread of the gospel is to Christ and how important it should be to us. And by the way, this would be a great prayer to pray. Uh, over these next weeks as we approach the My Hope evangelistic campaign that we'll be involved in. So follow in your sermon notes and notice the first truth. Pray God's Word will run swiftly to the unsaved. Pray that God's Word will run swiftly to the unsaved. Look at uh, verse 1, the very first half of verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the Word of the Lord may spread rapidly. It is obvious that for every believer, God desires that our hearts be captured with a passion that God's Word, that the gospel of Jesus Christ be spread. And how does the church spread God's Word? You know, what I've done throughout this entire message, and I I found it very interesting and uh, and, uh, uh, very insightful in my own life, uh, I went back to 1 Thessalonians. Because in 1 Thessalonians is where the gospel spread to that city. And we see there their reception and their response to the gospel. And then how in turn they began to spread the gospel. Uh, We see in 1 Thessalonians that the gospel created the church there in Thessalonica for the purpose of what? Spreading the gospel. 
And that's why God has created this church. That's why God has brought you into the family of God in order to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I, I, I found it very interesting as I worked through this message that you could see every aspect of this message literally demonstrated in 1 Thessalonians. So there'll be a number of correlations there. So how does the church spread the, uh, God's Word? Three fundamental ways. First, through verbal evangelism. Verbal evangelism. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. When Paul is recalling when the gospel was spread uh, to the believers at Thessalonica, and he says in verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Notice, the gospel came to them in word. It says not in word only, but it did come to them in word. At the very heart of Christianity is a message. And yes, that message needs to be preached, what, in the power of the Holy Spirit and with the conviction of you and I, believers, who share that message. But at the very heart of Christianity is truth, is a message, is propositional truth. And that truth is, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages, the payment of sin is what? Death. Spiritual separation from God, everlasting torment and punishment in hell. But God so loved the world that Jesus, who was equal with God, did not consider that to selfishly cling on to. But He emptied Himself, and He what? Became a man. And as a man, He humbled Himself by being obedient to the point of death on the cross. And there on the cross... Your iniquities, my iniquities, were laid on Jesus Christ, and He paid the penalty of our sin. He satisfied the justice and the wrath of God as He bore our penalty, as He bore our punishment and suffered death. But the grave could not hold Him because He was what? A righteous, sinless sacrifice, and He rose again, and Jesus Christ is alive. And He offers the gift of forgiveness to all of those who will put their trust in Him. For all of those who will open up their hearts to make their hearts His home. To forgive them of the sins, to take control of His life as we turn from sin to embrace the gift of Jesus Christ. And that is the heart of the Christian message. Verbal evangelism. But not only verbal evangelism... Look at the next one, visual evangelism, visual evangelism. Look at verses 6 and 7 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You also, notice, the gospel came to them in word, in message, in the power of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of Paul and his fellow workers. And then notice what happened. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word, in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Now listen, beloved, this is important to see this balance. Before there can be a credible verbalization of the gospel message, there needs to be a clear visualization of that message in our hearts and lives. People need to see 
the reality of Jesus Christ being formed in us and being displayed through us. They need to be able to see His reality in this church body as we love one another. Because Jesus said, by what? Your love, they will know that you are my disciples. A love that is greater than our differences. A love that unites us in our diversity as we are all committed to honoring Jesus Christ and spreading His gospel. See, the God you communicate, here's reality. And this is a good message to you parents with your children, to you grandparents with your, with your grandchildren, uh, to us as we're out in the workplace or rubbing shoulders with our neighbors or our friends or acquaintances. The God you communicate to others is not the God you talk about. It's the God whose life you live out. And you can never impart to another person what you do not possess yourself. And that is why it is so important that our walk needs to match our talk. That we're living out the authenticity of our Christianity. And in living out that authenticity, it provides credibility as we speak that glorious message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But notice not only visual evangelism, there's also, and I like this, viral evangelism. Viral evangelism. Uh, Look at verse 8. It says, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. Notice, the testimony of how Christ changed their lives began to be spoken of by everybody. In other words, here's here's what you need to understand. Verbal evangelism is believers sharing the gospel with the lost. And that's very, very important. We are called to do that. Go into the world. Spread the gospel to the entire creation, making disciples of all men. That's verbal evangelism. And as we've said, that needs to be backed up with that visual reality as they see Jesus lived out in and through our lives, and especially obedience to His truth out of a loving heart. But viral evangelism is what the lost are saying about us. You know, have you heard what happened to so-and-so? I mean, have you, have you seen him now? Have, have you seen how his life has changed some, through some encounter that he, he had with Jesus Christ? I mean, have you heard about what's happening in that church? Have you seen the excitement, the enthusiasm, their love for one another, their, their uncompromising commitment to the Word of God? I mean, or do you see them? Do you see how they love? See, we need to ask, and good question to ask, you know, what's the holy gossip being said about our church in this community? How do people view us? How do they see us? Because, see, that viral evangelism, that's what provides that powerful atmosphere to really demonstrate, display, and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're to pray that God's will or word will run swiftly to the unsaved. This should become the passion of our hearts, the center of our prayers, and be demonstrated in our life through verbal, visual, and viral evangelism. But we also need to pray, secondly, notice, we're to pray for a glorious reception of God's word, that as that gospel is spread that it will be gloriously received by those who hear it, who see it lived out 
in and through our lives. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the latter part of that verse. Again, he said, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly. Then notice, and be glorified just as it did in you. So how is God's word to be received? What does it mean for there to be a glorious reception of God's Word? And this is what we should be praying for as a church family. This is what we should be involved in. Well, three things. Number one, a glorious reception of God's Word involves what? Appreciating God's Word. To appreciate God's Word. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Look at how the Thessalonians... Uh, received God's Word. Look at their appreciation of it. And as we spread the gospel, as we share the truth of Jesus Christ, this is what we want to pray for. This is what we want to ask God to do in the hearts and lives of those that we're meant, we minister to. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the Word of God's message, you accepted it, Not as the word of men, but for what it really is, what? The word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So as we spread the gospel, we need to be praying, God, give grace to the hearers that they might receive your word, that they might receive my testimony, that they might receive my witness, not as the word of a man, but as the word of God that effectually works in those that put their trust in you. But we want to ask that not only that God's Word be appreciated, but that it be what? Appropriated. Yes, we we want to ask that people welcome God's Word, that they embrace it as the Word of God, and they see it that way. But we want them to go beyond appreciating it to appropriating it. And that's exactly what happened in the lives of these believers. Look at chapter 1, look at verses 9 and 10, and you'll see exactly how they appropriated the Word of God, which they appreciated, which they welcomed. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's the type of reception we want to be asking God to give to those that we're spreading the gospel to. That yes, they'll appreciate God's Word as the Word of God, but they will appropriate it by turning from their sin, turning from their idols. And what is an idol? It's whatever is most important to you. It is whatever you would fear losing the most. And we want people to see the glorious, the glorious uh, beauty of Jesus Christ to the point where they will turn from their sin, they will turn from their idols, that which is important to them, that which they value, so that now Jesus Christ becomes what is most important to them, what they value more than anything else, as they submit their lives to serve Him and to wait for Him by living blameless, pure lives and hearing those words, well done, thou good and faithful servants. So, God as we spread the gospel, as I give my life to sharing with my neighbors, my family, my friends, God, give them grace. Open their eyes to appreciate your word for what it is, your word. It has the power 
to work in them and to change them. God, give them grace by faith to appropriate that word, to turn from their sin and their idols, to serve you, and to live a life pleasing to you until you come. And then, God, give them grace to, here's the third thing, to apply your word. In other words, we don't want there to just be that initial appropriation at conversion. We want there to be developed a lifestyle of application of God's Word, a lifestyle of obedience. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the, in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. Notice, Paul says, you've received from us instruction. And praise God, you've appreciated it. It's coming from the Word of God. You've begun to appropriate it. Well, folks, don't stop. You keep excelling. You excel more and more and more and more in this matter of obedience, in this matter of application. Look at verses uh, 9 and 10 of that same chapter. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it. You practice it toward all the brethren who who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, notice, to excel still more. So that's what we want to pray for. God, God, let your word spread swiftly to all people. Make me an instrument that's involved in this great mission. And then, God, as we spread the word, as I share with my friends, oh, God, open their eyes to receive your word for what it is, the word of God, to appreciate it as the word of God, to appropriate it as they turn from their sin to place their faith in Jesus Christ, and then to begin applying your word, to build their life on the word of God, to live a life honoring to you. So we want to pray for the God's word to run swiftly to the unsaved. We want to pray for a glorious reception of God's word. And then notice the third truth, pray for deliverance from opposition to God's Word. Pray for deliverance from opposition to God's Word. We do live in a lawless society. As we mentioned, Christians are going to be hated, and we're especially going to be hated when we get outside the four walls of the church to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to confront our society with God's truth. It's inevitable. And they're going to view you, as we said earlier, that you are narrow, you are intolerant, you are judgmental, and you're a cancer in society, and they want nothing but Christianity to be eliminated and extinguished. That's the reality of what we are up against. So knowing that, we do need to pray, God, pray, deliver us from opposition to God's Word. Look at verses 2 and 3, and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. Praise God. He's faithful. And He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Now, very quickly, how does God deliver us from opposition? And let's be clear about this. It doesn't mean that as we begin to spread the gospel that it's going to be easy and it's going to be painless. So what should we expect in terms of being delivered from the opposition? Well, I think we see it here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. First, he says, I promise you joy in tribulation. Not that you're going to escape the tribulation. Not that you're going to escape persecution. But I promise, as you obey me, as you step out in faith, even in difficult times, I'll give you joy in the midst of your tribulation. And that joy itself 
will be a wonderful testimony of my reality in your heart and life. Because when people look at you, they'll say, how do you explain that joy? In the midst of their pain and difficulty, in the midst of the persecution and opposition. Look at verse 6 that we read a little bit earlier. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation. What? With what? With the joy of the Holy Spirit. So He's going to give you joy in tribulation. He's also going to give you boldness to speak. In other words, He's going to overcome that natural tendency of ours to shrink back in fear, and He'll give us boldness to speak as we step out in faith. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 2, But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. Not that God removed the opposition, but He gave them what? Boldness to speak the gospel, even confronted by the opposition. And then the third thing, He's going to give you strength to endure. He's going to give you strength to endure the battle. Again, He's not going to remove you from the battlefront, but He'll give you strength to hang in there, to make your stand for Jesus and to endure. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also, notice, endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. Look at chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, notice, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. Destined for what? Affliction. Destined for what? Suffering. Destined for what? Opposition. Persecution. For indeed, verse 4, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we are going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. So how will God deliver? He'll give joy and tribulation, boldness to speak, speak, strength to endure. And then look at our fourth and final truth this morning. Pray for God's Word to produce obedient disciples who become like Christ. Pray for God's Word to become, produce obedient disciples who become like Christ. As we spread the gospel, we need to see the importance of following converts up and stabilizing them, grounding them in the faith of Jesus Christ, where they learn how to appropriate and apply God's Word and live a life honoring to Him. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. And may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Look at that next statement in your notes. This sort of says it all. The church is to be changed by the gospel we proclaim. That's it. The church is to be changed by the gospel we proclaim. And we see this with the church at Thessalonica, that their conversion brought about a change of lifestyle as God supernaturally invaded their lives and transformed them. And then Paul came along his side with his fellow workers to teach them, to instruct them, to encourage them, and to direct their hearts into the love of Jesus Christ and the steadfastness of Christ. Now, very quickly, because my time's gone, ten marks. I thought this would be a good way to end the church. Great way to evaluate your individual life. Good way to evaluate our church family. Ten marks of a church that glorifies God's Word. And these are all seen right there 
in chapter 1. Uh, and look at me real quickly with them. What do you see as the marks of a church that glorify God's Word? Number one, a working faith. Look at verse 3. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith. In other words, a faith that produces something. A faith that produces good works. A faith that produces a life that's given to honor God. And not only a working faith, but a laboring love. He says, a, he says in the labor of love where we see in our lives, in the church family, that we're growing in love. We're growing in the practice of love. You know, I've shared with you many times, when you go to the love chapter, and you go to verse 4, where it begins to give those descriptions of love. I think there are about 15 or 16 different descriptions. In our English Bibles, they are adjectives. But in the Greek text, they're verbs, action words. And you learn love through the practice of love. This is where practice does make perfect. And so, one of the marks of a church that is glorifying God's Word is not only a working faith, but a laboring love, and not only a laboring love, an enduring hope. Notice verse 3, it says, "...in the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of God and our Father." Of all people, we should be the most optimistic, because we know how it's all going to end, folks. And we talked about that the last few weeks, looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're on the winning side. We know that Christ will be the last man standing, that Christ will gain the victory in His followers. Look at that. Imitating Christ is another mark. Imitating Christ, verse 6. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord. That word imitating means to be a mimic, uh, to be a mind, to copy. Uh, We've already talked about this, joy in suffering, where it says, "...you receive the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit." Uh, we see the next one, exemplary behavior. This would be the mar- another mark of a church that glorifies God's Word. Exemplary behavior. So that you be- in verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. And then 8, everything we've been talking about today, sharing the gospel. For the Word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. And it reverberates in Macedonia and all, okay, all of Greece is hearing about Jesus Christ because of your investment and commitment in the spread of the gospel. Turning from idols. It says, we've already looked at that, how you turn from idols. What is the essence of sin? It's valuing anything more than Jesus Christ. So the mark of a church or of an individual that's glorifying God's Word is to where Jesus Christ becomes our most valued possession. He becomes more important to us than anything else. And we realize that, in essence, when we sin, when we fail, that's an act of spiritual adultery. And we need to return to Jesus Christ as our first love. And then nine, service to the Lord. That we don't become passive. We don't become spectators. But we become participants in the body of Christ. As I've often shared with you, every believer needs to discover their ministry and their mission. Your ministry is how you're plugged into the local family. How you're utilizing your gifts to build up this church family. Your mission is how you're connected with a lost world to reach lost people for Jesus Christ. And then a longing for Christ's return in verse 10 as it says, and to wait for Jesus uh, from heaven. Uh, and, And that has the sense that He's the longing of our hearts. He's the center of our attention, our affections, and our allegiance. And He's the one that we're submitting to for His approval, and to exalt and glorify Him. 
So a very, uh, very practical message today on how we need not only just pray for the spread of the gospel, but as we pray for the spread of the gospel, we become a participant in the spread of the gospel. Father, uh, thank you for the instruction today. And I pray that you would use this truth to capture, uh, to transform our hearts, uh, to give us a, a passion, not only for you, but a passion to spread your gospel uh, to all men, that we would be faithful to provide uh, a verbal witness, but not only a verbal witness, but that through our lives, people would be able to see Jesus and that they would, uh, could not question or doubt, although they may attack us, uh, the reality of your life being uh, formed and displayed through us. So, Lord, continue to grow us in your grace and knowledge that we would be one of those churches, like the church at Thessalonica, that demonstrates these marks uh, of a church family that is truly glorifying your word. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. As the invitation is extended today, possibly you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You've heard the gospel in this message. We've been focusing on believers who are spreading it, but you heard the, the gospel about Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and His offer of salvation to you. And so I would invite you to make your heart His home today by inviting Him in to forgive you of your sins and take control of your life as you turn from your idols, your sin, to serve a true and living God and to wait for His Son from heaven. But, of course, this message has been to believers. And I trust God has encouraged us to become bolder in not only praying but participating in the spread of the gospel. One of the biggest problems we have in the church today is many of our believers, many of our church members have gone AWOL in this battle. You know, you can't leave that battle to be fought merely by your leadership. Just like an army... How far would they get if they said the only ones we're going to let fight the, the battle are the generals, the officers? No, the heart of the fighting force is what? The enlisted man. A guy that gets in there. He puts his nose to the grind. He's willing to make a news. Now, of course, the officers' leadership need to be player coaches. We need to be right along your side. But in other, in other words, this is something every believer is to embrace and to participate in. And so I trust that God has spoken, and you begin to pray, God, uh, change me along these lines. And, the, and again, how do you begin? What did I say earlier? One of the best ways to conform your life to Jesus Christ is to begin to pray the prayers of the Bible. Take this prayer right here. Begin to pray it on a regular basis that God would enable you, would enable this church to spread the gospel as we've shared and as you pray that, then begin to look, because God's going to give you opportunities. And then as He gives you those opportunities, that's where you need to step out in faith, trusting that He'll back you up with His strength and His encouragement and His joy. Possibly you've been visiting, looking for a church family to unite with. It would be our joy to welcome you into the Edgewood family. And it's our tradition to ask you, as the invitation is extended, to make your way to the front to share with me as a follower of Jesus Christ. You want to unite with this church family, and we will uh, aid you down that road to full membership. Uh, but I'll be standing at the front to greet anyone that has a decision of any nature. So please stand as the invitation is extended.
Amen. Mm-hmm. 